0: Let's turn now to Luke 12:22. Luke 12:22. We'll read to verse 34. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life, as to what you shall eat, nor for your body, as to what you shall put on. For life is more than food, and the body than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, and they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why are you anxious about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so raised the grass in the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace how much more will he clothe you o men of little faith and do not seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink and do not keep worrying for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek but your father knows that you need these things but seek for his kingdom and these things shall be added to you do not be afraid little flock for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves purses which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that this is a word of encouragement to call our attention to trust you. We pray that you'll teach us to trust you, that we will have this kind of faith that does not look at our circumstances, but looks to you for all things. You are our great Father, and you care for us, and we thank you. In the name of Christ, amen. Jesus ends this section by saying, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That is the bottom line. That is the basic point he's trying to make. Note in our life, where our treasure should be and not where it should not be, and avoid where God warns us where our treasure should not be. It should not be in the material, physical things of the world, but in the unseen, eternal, and heavenly realities. We should be putting our heart there, and then trust that God will take care of everything else. Since we belong to Him, since He has chosen us gladly, to, to to He has chosen gladly to give us the kingdom, then why worry about anything else? That's Jesus' basic point. Let's see how he elaborates. Verse 22, he said to his disciples, remember in the previous passage, there was a man in the crowd who shouted out, teacher, verse 13, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And Jesus rebuffs him and rebukes him and shares how there was a farmer, a very wealthy farmer, who did not think about his life and suddenly his life was taken away and no one will now own what he accumulated so now he's going to teach his disciples not the unbelievers he rebuked the unbeliever but now he is teaching his own disciples that god chose you he loves you he cares for you so don't worry about anything else don't worry verse 22 he said to his disciples For this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. That's what we basically need every day, isn't it? We need food and clothing. We need food and covering. We need a shelter, covering for our bodies. This is what we need every day. And so naturally people, in order to survive, because God has given us an innate desire to survive and to supply our needs, which is right and good. But the problem is the means of acquiring those goods is the problem. And the means that it should not start with is anxiety. It should never start with anxiety or any kind of dolefulness in the way that we pursue our life. Why? Because verse 23 For life is more than food and the body than clothing. Think for a minute. Why did God place us on the earth? Why did He place us on the earth? Did He place us on the earth? just to make sure that we had something in our mouth and something to cover our bodies? No. He didn't place us on the earth for those basic reasons. Life is more than that. This life is in in preparation for the life to come. This life is for the life to come. God created the world to prepare the world for the day of judgment, Romans 3.6. Do you not know that God will judge the world? Don't you know that? Don't you know that that's why we're here? To prepare us for that day of judgment. So if we're prepared for that day of judgment, then the means to getting to that day are irrelevant in terms of the physical means. As long as we are practicing righteousness, then don't worry about food and don't worry about clothing, because life is more than that. The life to come is greater. And then he uses a few analogies. He uses the ravens, he uses the lilies and the grass. In order to show us who created the, the people of the world, God did, right? And who created the ravens, God did. Who created the lilies in the grass, God did. So if God created all these, notice how God cares for those lesser creatures. Verse 24, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, and they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds, Jesus Christ, the Lord Christ himself, announces that God who created the ravens, and the ravens are a part of the unclean birds, are they not? From Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, they were considered in the class of unclean animals. The people of Israel were not supposed to eat them. They were to avoid them in that way. So if God feeds unclean animals, which he created, and he was teaching them a lesson about holiness and profanity uh, righteousness and falsehood in making a distinction with the foods he was teaching them that so it had a benefit it had a reason for god creating unclean animals and unclean animals do uh, a lot of cleanup work uh, with the carcasses that are all around uh, the the planet they are very uh, they they are cleanup hitters if you want to call them that because they do benefit So God created these ravens and other such animals to do those things, which are filthy things, right, for us in our estimation of what they do. It's filthy. It's needed, but it's filthy. If God prepares food for them, God makes sure he feeds them. Why won't he feed us? And he says right there, how much more valuable you are than the birds. We are of more value than the clean birds and even the unclean birds. We're of more value than any of them. Because we possess the image of God. God created us in His image to be able to commune with Him, to reason, to have rationality, to have emotions, to have will. All of these God has given us because we are in His image, created in His image, not the birds. So we are of more value than birds. Much more value. Verse 25, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his life's span? whether he's talking about the length of our life, the number of days, or the height, how tall we are, how big we are, whatever he means here, because the translation varies in verse 25, either one, what can we do to control that? What can we do to ensure that we live to be one year more than what everybody else does, or 10 years longer than everybody else, or 20 years? How can we make sure of that? We can't make sure of that. And then how can we enlarge our bodies can we make ourselves seven feet tall eight feet tall i want to be ten feet tall can we say that and then make that happen we can't do that we can't even do that one inch it all is according to the providence of god that these things happen so if we can't do that then what makes us think that we in our anxiety are going to be able to overcome getting food and getting clothing or whatever other things we need no no 26, if then you cannot do even a very little thing, why are you anxious about other matters? Why are we anxious? If we cannot do these kinds of things, why be anxious? Constantly, he he brings up this word anxious or worry. Don't be that way. Because anxiety and worry, these words are words of unbelief. They demonstrate unbelief, that we don't have faith and we don't believe in what God provides. If we cannot do little things, what makes us think we can do big things? And if we cannot control all of these events of our life, we like to think that we can. We can control little things and we can control big things, but we cannot. We cannot control both little and big. All kinds of things happen that are beyond our control. And if that's the case, then don't be anxious about it. 27, another illustration, "'Consider the lilies, how they grow. "'They neither toil nor spin, "'but I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory "'did not clothe himself like one of these.'" Solomon was the richest of the kings of Israel. When Israel had their united kingdom, Saul, David, and then Solomon each reigned for 40 years. Solomon had a peaceful kingdom. He had no warfare. He certainly had enemies, but he did not have warfare and there was no bloodshed in war during his reign. He was able to build. He was able to build the magnificent first temple. The first temple, also called Solomon's Temple. He was able to build that. The The nation had immense wealth, prosperity. They had no lack of anything. Solomon. And even when the Queen of Sheba, or the Queen of the South, visited, she was breathless. She was speechless. She didn't know what to say. Because she saw how... All of his attendants were, all of his wealth, and especially his wisdom, his spiritual wisdom. She saw all of that, and she said, The half had not been told me. So if Solomon was gloriously decked, Jesus said, The lilies, the lilies don't even do anything. Solomon had to do a lot of work, or at least he had to decree and, and command a lot of people to do the work. He had to do all that, and it took time. But the lilies, they don't toil or spin. And he says here, the lilies are more beautiful than the way Solomon was dead. The lilies are, which God creates. God creates without human intervention. And then 28. But if God so arrays the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O men of little faith? The grass in the field. uh, Many times it has to be mowed, right? When the grass is mowed and various things are done to the grass, in this case, he says, it's thrown into the furnace. You have to get rid of it somehow, if there's too much of it, thrown into the furnace, that's the grass. Well, God created the grass to grow, to have its time, to have its temporary existence, and then to be cut down, to be chopped down by humans, or even to be consumed by the cattle whatever case, the grass has a temporary time, and God ordains its time. He appoints it for a little time, and then it is cut or consumed, and then thrown into the furnace as well. So if God does that, how much more will he clothe you, O men of little faith? Aren't we more important than plants? Yes, even though today and in, in many uh, many circles in our culture. Plants are above people. No. And animals are above people. No. Right here we just learned that uh, people are above animals and even the plants are below the animals and we are above them all. Don't We should not mix those categories. The Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us this. This is not an invention of some Uh, some newbie, some hyper-conservative, or anything like that. This is right here in the Scriptures. The Scriptures are declaring that we are of more value than them. But what's the lesson? If God takes care of these objects, the grass, the lilies, and even the birds, and even an unclean bird, how much more will He clothe you? He'll take care of you. Just trust Him. Don't worry about it all. He says, O men of little faith, he knows that we are of little faith. He's not just talking about his contemporaneous disciples. He's not talking about them. He's talking about the way all of us are by our nature. We have little faith that needs to be watered. We we need to fertilize it. We need to grow our faith. He's saying, we have little faith and God will take care of us. The plants have no faith and God takes care of them. The birds have no faith and God takes care of them. Why won't he take care of us? We have little faith that needs to increase. So don't worry. Increase faith. Believe in God that he'll provide for our our needs. And then 29. And do not seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink and do not keep worrying. There he summarizes. Do not Worry about food and drink. Don't worry at all. And not only that, but verse 30. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. The nations of the world, the Gentile nations of the world, the idolatrous people of the world, the false um, religions of the world, what are they all about? They are all about seeking ways to manipulate God or the gods, the pantheon of gods, finding ways to manipulate the gods so that the gods give them what they want. I, I, want, uh, I want knowledge. I want to pass my test. So I'm going to worship a certain God in order to pass my test and to get um, straight A's and get into college. I'm going to worship this one idol to get that. And then in another case, I, I want uh, fertility. I want a child. Uh, I'm newly married, so I'm going to worship this other god, the god of fertility, and that god will give us a child. Not just one, but many children. I'm going to worship that god, and I'm going to be dedicated to worshiping that god the way I should. And then this other god is the god of commerce, god of economics, god of money, god of wealth. So if I worship this other god, and I am very diligent, very devoted to worshiping that that God the way that the, the priests tell me to worship him, then I will accumulate immense wealth. And I'll never have to think about wealth again. I'll retire very early in life. And I'll have all kinds of servants and people to help me. And I'll be able to just dictate whatever I want on a whim, and I'll get everything. That's the way people think. That's the way the Gentiles think in all the religions of the world. What was What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is they're consumed and obsessed with this life so that they are pampered. They want to live like kings now and they're not even concerned about the life to come. They manipulate God. They use God as though God can be manipulated and manipulate him to get what they want. That's what the nations of the world do. But Jesus says, Your father, but your father knows that you need these things. You see, in the pagan religions of the world, they have to get the attention of the gods in certain ways. They need to ring the bells very loudly. They need to have the microphone on very loudly in the temple. They need to circle the the temple building seven times or twelve times or a hundred times, whatever... They need to do these kinds of things to wake up the gods, to get the gods' attention because the gods in the heavens are busy with their activities. They're busy. They have conflict themselves. They have family intrigue going on up there. They have adultery going on and fornication in this other case. They have all this stuff going on up there. Uh, this uh, One other god is getting drunk and the other one is busy with another planet. And this is the way that they think. As though their god needs to pay attention now, be mindful now. But God's, or Jesus says here about the Father, your Father knows that you need these things. He knows, He created you and He is intimately acquainted with all of our ways, Psalm 139. He knows everything and He's intimately acquainted with all of our ways. He's concerned for us. Why would He create us and redeem us to abandon us? He's not going to do that. He's not going to create us and redeem us to abandon us. No. He's going to provide for us. Then, where should our focus be? Our focus should be 31 to 34. But seek for His kingdom, and these things shall be added to you. Or in the Matthian Version, Matthew chapter 6, 25-25 or 619-34, in Matthew 6, 19-34, there in verse 33 he says, But seek for his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Or in a nutshell, seek for his kingdom. Seek for his kingdom, and these things shall be added to you. Seek for the eternal kingdom. Don't be blinded and intoxicated by the worries of the world by the need for the things that you, you have day by day. Don't be misled by any of that. Instead, seek for the kingdom of God. Think about eternal matters. Think about souls. Think about your spiritual life. Think about righteousness. Uh, examine the world through the lens of the scriptures in terms of truth, righteousness, uh, wickedness, falsehood. Do all of that. Seek for his kingdom and seek to spread his kingdom wherever you go. That's what he's talking about. Seek for his kingdom, first in our own life and then in the life of others. Furthermore, 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid because he has chosen to give us the kingdom. If the kingdom belongs to us, then what else matters? If the kingdom is in our hands, or has been granted to us, why be concerned about anything else? Once we know that eternal life is sweeter than the present life, then shouldn't that dissipate all fears? Shouldn't that take away all anxieties? Because we know we're in the Father's hand, we're in His care, no one shall snatch us out of the Father's hand And no one shall snatch us out of the Son's hand. And Jesus said, I and the Father, we are one. Right? So that double bond, no one will take us away from God Almighty. And if the kingdom to come, the kingdom that's been given to us, is our possession, then don't be afraid of anything. This also relates to earlier, even when people persecute you, you're afraid. What are they going to say? That If you, say that you tell them you're a Christian or you start explaining the gospel to them, don't be afraid of any of that because God will take care of you. Don't be afraid of those who can only kill your body but not kill your soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Luke 12, verse 5. Further, he says, Your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Chosen gladly. Here, God chooses us. We do not choose him. Yes, a choice is made or an action is conducted. We have to believe and repent. But who initiates this? Who brings this about graciously and gladly? Who does this graciously and gladly? According to verse 32... Your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. God chooses to produce faith in people. He chooses to change people's hearts. He chooses to grant repentance. The scriptures are replete with these kinds of assertions. We don't choose Him. He chooses us, and He chooses us gladly. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, verse 4. Ephesians 1 and verse 4. He chose us in that way. Lastly, verse 32 says, little flock. Little flock. We are a flock of sheep. That's one. That means that just as the shepherd has to care for the sheep, since the sheep are not intelligent and brilliant creatures, the sheep are not like wolves and foxes and lions right? They are not intelligent and powerful like those other creatures are. So that's who we are. So we have to consider ourselves like that and be at the mercy of our shepherd, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, Jesus said. So he cares for us. He considers us his flock. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1. We know that God cares for us like this. We are his flock and he will protect us from the wolves. He'll protect us from all danger. Further, he qualifies it as little flock. Little flock. Not large flock, not numerous flock, little flock. In the scriptures, the Bible uses two kinds of numerics to describe the people of God. One is found in Revelation 7, 9, or in Genesis 15, 5, that the descendants of Abraham will be like the stars of heaven, innumerable, like the stars of heaven, or like the sand of the seashore. And in Revelation 7, 9, John the Apostle says, I saw a great multitude in heaven which no one could count. These passages show that the quantity, the number, the full number of people is immense. It's innumerable, the full number of people. However, the scriptures also teach us that the percentage in relation to the rest of mankind that have ever lived, the percentage is a small percentage. The percentage is small. That's why he says little flock. Or we might also See Luke 13, Luke 13, 23, Luke 13, 23. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter by the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. That's his answer. His basic answer is yes. Yes, yes. Are there just a few? Few in percentage compared to the rest of people who are unsaved. Few are saved because there is a narrow door. A narrow door to get to heaven. This is why the scriptures talk about, though the number of the, uh, of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the seashore, yet it is the remnant that shall be saved their number might be many but only a remnant of them will be saved that is romans 9:27 romans 9:27 so that's why he calls us little flock now if he calls us little flock that also should remove discouragement because we think well why is it that There are uh, are, are not, like in our nation or in our state, why are there not millions upon millions, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people, why are they not flocking into the churches? Why are they not zealous for the kingdom of God? Why are they not living up to the Christian faith as we see it in the Bible? Well, don't be discouraged by that. The reason is because the flock is little. There are a few being saved in percentage. That's why. So don't be discouraged by what you see all around you. You, you, Often we see nominal Christianity, Christians in name only, people like that all around us who have no concern for the things of God. Don't let that bother you. Don't worry about it. Just press on and be encouraged. Furthermore, some action. Verse 33 Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves purses which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Now we have to put hands and feet to what we confess. Now he's talking about giving up what we possess in order for us to evidence not to gain salvation, but to evidence salvation, that you don't have worries and obsessions with physical possessions. You don't have that. Give it away. Give it away. Share. Ecclesiastes 11.1 1. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you shall find it after many days. Or we might also see Luke 18. Luke 18.18 18 where we have this incident of the rich young ruler. There was a rich young ruler who approached Jesus about eternal life. And Jesus tells him what to do to obey the commandments. And then we pick it up at verse 21. Luke 18, 21. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. Which was really a lie because nobody can do that. Verse 22, And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, the things impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter says that they have given up. Verse 28, and Peter said, behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. What's the lesson here? Jesus taught this rich young ruler that he really did not obey God and he really loved his possessions, his property, his wealth, and he did not love God. And because he did not love God and obey God's commandments, there was no eternal life for him. In fact, that's why it says in 23, he became very sad. In the parallel accounts of Matthew and Mark, we also learn that he he owned much property and he was grieved and he went away. He walked away. You see, because he loved his money, he did not love the master. He came pretending to love the master, pretending to want eternal life, but he really didn't. He loved his money and he did not want to give it up. Now Jesus says, so so all that you possess and distribute it to the poor as a test, as a test to him. And he failed the test. And you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. The disciples, however, they did count the cost as Peter announced in verse 28. The disciples, they did count the cost. They did have their businesses. They did have their families and their houses. But when it was time for ministry, they were able and willing to give those things up, whatever it was. They were willing to give those things up. And Jesus says, you'll have many more in this life, correct? If your father and mother forsake you, in the church, you will have other fathers and mothers. You'll have spiritual fathers and mothers who will care for you, who will pray for you, who who will help you and advise you, take care of your needs. They will help you in those ways. The same with son or daughter. You'll have other sons and daughters in the church who will love you the way your natural son and daughter never loved you. That's the way it works. That's what Jesus says about this time. And in the age to come, eternal life. So you can have spiritual relatives now who are better to you than your natural relatives and you gain eternal life. So just give up. So just share. When you see people in need, then share your resources with them. Don't withhold. Don't hold back. Of course, Jesus is not talking about in every case, in every situation, you must give up 100% of all that you own. He's not talking about that. He's not saying that at all. And also, he's not saying that if you do so, then you'll get eternal life. He's not teaching that God wants your money He wants your wallet in order for you to get eternal life. It doesn't mean he doesn't talk about that. He's not teaching that whatsoever. And he's also not saying that you should just carelessly give to whoever you think is poor or who has less than you do. Just kind of keep your wallet open and free and just give it to whomever you see here, there, on the street. He's not saying to just do it like that either. The Bible has prescriptions on what to do when you see the poor and how to best help the poor. And often it is with material things, but not always. What do the poor need more than a full stomach three times a day? They need the full gospel all day. They need the full gospel all day, not a full stomach three times a day. Certainly they need food, but... What we fail to do sometimes in giving to the poor is telling them about the spiritual life, the spiritual truth. This happens not just with people with physical uh, needs like food and clothing, but in all kinds of other areas of life. We help them in those physical ways, but we never talk about the spiritual. But we need to talk about the spiritual and get to that bridge, cross that bridge quickly. The quicker you cross it, the better it is for your witnessing to them cross that spiritual bridge soon in your conversation. If you don't cross it soon, you'll be more timid to bring it up later. And then, those people, you might you don't know if you'll ever see them again. And God has us. He has us. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. One person will plant the seed, another will come along. You don't know who that may be. Sometimes you don't. And that person will put water on what was said earlier. And then God eventually will bear fruit. That's the point. So when we do this, we are storing up treasure in heaven. No thief can come near. No moth can destroy. But the things that we hoard, we keep in our, in our houses and storehouses. Yes, thieves can come and break in. Moths can destroy. Rats come in, right? Right. All kinds of problems can happen. It can spoil. So why put so much stock in the, into that? Don't do that. Instead, check your heart. Verse 34, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This should make us introspective. This, this should make us think about what our motives are why we say what we say, why we do what we do, why we accumulate what we accumulate, why we even give what we give. Are we doing it with the right motive? Because if we are consumed with obtaining possessions, obtaining wealth, obtaining big houses, obtaining big cars, expensive cars, and the other kinds of things, expensive vacations, many things that people do, if we are consumed with that, and it's the next thrill that we're seeking... Then that shows where the heart is. It shows where the heart is, does it not? So, where our treasure is, there will your heart be also. We can tell where people's hearts are by what they treasure. He's teaching us that. So, be on guard. Let's be humble. Let's repent. Let's have faith in God. Repent of whatever sins we have committed that are contrary to this passage. Let's put our faith in God. Let's put away anxiety and trust Him for everything. Yes, work hard. Yes, pray. Trust God. Be wise with our resources. Everything is all true. But check our heart, and thereby we'll know where our treasure is. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.